Howdy do, buckaroos. Welcome to episode three actual of Live from the Uncanny Valley. <laughs> Thanks again to Jason Snell and the Incomparable both for putting this up and putting up with us. Uh, we actually have included a guest this evening as we record this uh, on Monday, 24 hours after the show has aired. And with us today, founder of Icon Factory, one of my favorite all-around podcast guests for those who remember the two Autot cast days, uh, and most importantly at the moment, fellow Westworld junkie, Ged Mayhew. Hey, thanks for having me. Man, it's been a Welcome, while. Ged. Oh, man. Two odd talk casts. Wow. Blast from the past. <laughs> and, and by the way, I'm, I'm Don. Hey, Don. Nice to meet you. <laughs> With me, as always, is Don. Yes. I always want to... Say wanna... your own name, silly. <laughs> I, I forgot that, didn't I? I've, <laughs> I've screwed this all up from the absolute <laughs> beginning. Because I went and read off the screen like an idiot instead of like thinking for myself. I'm I'm caught in a bad loop. You're off. Yeah, well. I, I need diagnostics. Okay. So anyway, I'm Kelly Gamont. Um, uh, you may have been informed I run this show. Uh, <laughs> you can tell how well that's working out for everybody, right? Now. So <laughs> let's let's get on with it. Um. Ged was actually part of the original conversation that started this podcast because yep. originally Don was complaining that nobody seemed to understand that the novel was a novelization of the film, of the script, not the other way around. So, uh, Ged, tell us a little bit about your uh, Westworld cred. Well, I've always, I mean, I was a fan of the movie. I, I don't, I, I didn't see it in the theater when it came out a little bit before my time, but I, I've seen it a bunch of times in reruns on TV and, and things, and I always found it fascinating. Um, and so when I heard that HBO was remaking it as a, a series, I, I couldn't wait for it. You know, of course, the project's been in development hell for years. Yes. And uh, mm. finally, only now, come to fruition. But I think it was worth the wait, because they're doing a great job with it. I really have enjoyed it. It's like one of my favorite shows on TV right now, in fact. So. Did, did you start watching it the very first episode? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've been counting down <laughs> the days to it, actually. And uh, trying. I try to avoid spoilers about what it was going to be about, and I didn't want to know too much about it. Um. I'm glad I did that because you know going into that first episode cold was was great and you expecting Ed Harris to be Yule Brenner's character expecting him to be a robot and then the twist that he wasn't actually a robot he was a person mm. and you know and the the the, the as, as far as we know as far as we know <laughs> I'm pretty yeah. I'm pretty sure about that though yeah I yeah think, yeah so. I'm just 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 so, fucking with you yeah there's nothing you can't take anything for granted on the show though which is pretty cool oh yeah you know? especially so what was your reaction to uh that that small little thing that <laughs> happened at the end of episode seven last week's grenade uh oh you mean at the end of last week uh it was pretty cool i mean there were a lot of a <laughs> lot of theories flying around that he was in fact you know a robot mm. and i i I kind of felt it, but I wasn't sure, you know. And then as soon as he said, you know, what door, you know, you couldn't see the mm -hmm. door, that's when I knew that he was the robot. And the, everything that happened after that was edge-of-your-seat type stuff. And oh. uh, it was great. 
was really cool. And it was cool to see it pick up this week and how how Ford was going to clean up the mess. I really liked that, that's, that that was where we started. I thought it was a nice touch to pick up with sort of Bernard's aftermath as he's and trying like, to work things out for himself. Right. And like, as I mentioned last week, which should have told us that uh, Bernard was a host because it focused on him waking up. Once again, uh, it's a host waking up to start the episode being, mm-hmm. you know, so. <laughs> Which, in I, fact, I, I gonna hold out. Yes. Yeah, so are they going to hold that for all 10? You know, I, I don't so. know. Well, so when we started watching this week and we saw that and I said, I'm glad they're sticking with it. And Mr. Kelly said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, think about it. Every single episode starts with a host waking up. And then he went, oh, my God, you're right. And I said, yeah, <laughs> this is what we do on the podcast, honey. And yeah. And he went, seriously? I said, yeah. And he went, oh, my God. <laughs> yep. It's, like, it's said, like as if he didn't know you were this much of a nerd already. Right? I'm, I'm like, have you met? Yeah. Have you met me? <laughs> like we have a bar in our basement and there's these two really fantastically excruciatingly 70s lights you know the chain with the globes at the end and there's two of them and there's a mirror behind the bar and so when we first got when we first moved in and got everything all set up and everything i turned them on and i pointed and i looked at him and i said there are four lights and he went what (laughs) (laughs) i'm like yeah you know you, you know you have those moments once in a while even when it's been a long time and you think how are we married and, you know, it's a good thing you're cute. And that was my moment. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so, yeah, I'm like, these are the kind of things we talk about on that podcast. So um, I, I so want to read. What, would Mr. Kelly, would Mr. Kelly have recognized Vasquez rocks? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. It's about 50 50, I think. Yeah. OK, so. well, well, I'll explain what the hell that means later <laughs> on the show we'll when get we get there. to that plot point. Um, so I wanted to read Ged's description of the show because I think it's awesome. Um, and it's it's also Dawn approved. It has elements of some of my favorite television shows like Battlestar Galactica and Firefly mm-hmm. with a touch of World mm-hmm. of Warcraft thrown in for good mm-hmm. measure. So my question now for Ged is who's yelling for the Horde? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I used to be on the Horde when I played Warcraft. I was a mage, undead mage oh. in Warcraft. And uh, that was fun, man. That was, seemed like ages ago, too. You're making me feel old. Thanks so much. <laughs> but yeah, I Blame mean, I, I, I think that, that I st- those... I still have an account. That's how screwed up I am. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty cool. It it does. The show reminds me a lot of Battlestar Galactica. I'm not, and I don't mean just the Cylon robot stuff. You know, which is only funny because that was my first thought after as soon as Bernard said. Uh, it doesn't look like anything to me. I had to hit pause and everyone at my house, Mr. Kelly and I went, oh, and then I went, oh my God, Bernard is the final Cylon. That was like literally and, the first thing that came And then she head. wrote that on text. And so that's what we made the title of <laughs> yes. last week's episode. So. Yeah. I texted Don, who was already done watching the episode, who was like, who boy, buckle up. Uh-huh. And so then I texted him later, like a dozen exclamation points. And then Bern- in all caps, Bernard is the final Cylon. So now I'm waiting for the player piano to play uh, a Bob Dylan song. 
along the Watchtower. Or a Jimi Hendrix song. Yeah. Oh, when it busts out all along the Watchtower, then we'll all be like, oh. Then yeah. we'll know. Yes. Um, well, so let's just let's just don't, uh, let's just hope they uh, keep doing uh, flashbacks and not flash sideways. They don't want to go full lost oh, on this, right? Mm. Play our piano for a minute because we got two songs out of it this week. Uh, we got House of the Rising Sun, which I recognize right away being the old guy, <laughs> and I recognize it because it was a, a song I learned to pick out on the piano when I was very small. So I actually. I'm very familiar with what it sounds like on a piano. Um, and then we also got Back to Black by Amy Winehouse, which I thought was sort of interesting. It, it's a, a sad, mournful song. Like, you know, it, about, um, it's about... It's very uh, something I can never have kind of a thing, you know, which we got from... I've, I've died a earlier. thousand times, kind of something like yeah. that in the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Which um, it's... Which it's played behind uh, Maeve, right? Toward the end yeah. of the... Or early and, on in the show. Which... Yeah. And the chorus is, we only uh, we, we only said goodbye with words. I died a hundred times. A hundred times, yeah. You go back to her, and I go back to black. So, yeah, it's kind of... It's always fun to, to, to think about the lyrics of the song and then, you know, how they're applying to where you're actually hearing them. So... That was a kind of a, a fun one for me. Um, then we also heard some nice classical music in this episode. Uh, the yeah, the the Swan what? Lake. Yeah, for the um, impressive display of violence in the middle, and that's impressive by Westworld standards. I mean, really, that was to set it to music right, it like that. But think about how many different songs that whole loop has been set to mm-hmm. now. After eight episodes, it's it's had like uh, four different sets of background music now, right? Mm, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how that affects the perception of the scene. Yeah, because that's the same as Paint It Black from the first episode, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so you go to paint it black to Swan Lake. It's pretty goddamn funny. <laughs> that's that's a mighty wide swing, I must say. Yeah, pretty fascinated uh, by the the transition of like the Groundhog Dayness of that scene, you know, <laughs> because it, they play it. You know, we've seen it so many times, but every time we see it, they're revealing something new, mm-hmm. you know, and what's happening in it, and so it's expanding your understanding of that stuff. <laughs> It's it's very cool. I mean, it's it's like seeing the same scene from different people's point of view, or whatever that's been done over and over and over again. But the same at the same time, it's just it's revealing more about the characters. And I'm wondering if that kind of thing will continue into season two, or if they will get like completely out of sweet water in season two, or you know, or what. But I think we'll still get the same thing because we still have hosts and they're still on a loop. And so I think we're going to, it may not be the same sequence, but I bet we get the same thing in season two where we see the same, the same thing happen from a different point of view, or we've now learned something that informs the rest of that scene differently. And now it's, it's got a different color. And when we go back to it this time, it's much sadder or it's, you're, you're much angrier at the end of it because of something that happened. Um, I totally think that's that's a thing that. Oh, yeah. I don't think you're going to get 
you, I don't think you're going to get total freedom. Uh, yeah. uh, you're not going to get the, what is it? The 16th amendment for hosts uh, passed <laughs> at the end of season one. No. Uh, they're still going to be uh, slaves and because the loops are very, very useful storytelling devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just for, you know, the existential an- angst when they figure it out afterwards. It's, uh, get like you said, it's like the different perspectives and the variations. Yeah. In this time, of course, it was it was Maeve being more than Bernard like and almost Ford like rewriting the entire scenario. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, did you notice that she says every you know she does the she gives the she is upgraded again this episode and she's able to give host command and she always says them in the past tense. Yes. Was that creepy or what? It was a, a little, little creepy. Yeah, it was. But it was it was neat. It was very cool. <laughs> it was cool as hell. Yeah. They practice okay, the quick so, but, draw but, on each other and then they go and do it. Yes. And, yeah. Okay, before we get too far away from it, though, I have to point out, Ged, one of the things that's really funny is that in the first... Uh, Don and I share a document for show notes. And in the first document, I said about... Ma- I think it was about Maeve... Um, we're in Groundhog Day, and everyone else is Ned, and Maeve is becoming <laughs> Bill Murray. Yes, and that's, so it's so that funny exactly that that's the what same. it is. It's it's funny yeah. to me that that you came to the same conclusion. Plus, um, it means I'm probably right. So, haha, I've got that going for me too. <laughs> so, bef- before we get to into the play by play, I wanted to uh, point out something in uh, uh, because I wanted you to talk uh, if you can a little bit. Kelly, about story structure for this to set the whole series in context where we're at in mm-hmm. episode eight. And then I wanted to point out something about the style of the way this was told. But I thought maybe you, because yeah. you, you floored me when you brought this up the uh, <laughs> earlier today. And then it was like not 20 minutes later, my sister tells me the same thing in, you know, a separate channel. So it's totally weird. Okay, so here's what I said was um, uh, I was I I say was because it seems like it ended so long ago and it's never ever coming back because it's so far in the future. Um, I watched Game of Thrones. I watched it a bunch. Um, I watched the first season by myself. Figured it was awesome and decided to reel in Mr. Kelly on it. Got him reeled in. Watched the first season again. You know, we started walking through it. Um, I've watched it a bunch uh, through, you know, various times like, oh, well, I could watch the last episode before the new season starts, but I could also just watch all, you know, 12 of them or whatever before the new season starts. And so now they've got it down to 10 episodes a series for Game of Thrones. And the way the the way everything works in in Game of Thrones overall is you get seven episodes of stuff that happens like it's not just people standing around talking. Um, people get killed. People have sex. Things happen to people. Things happen to other people. There's war. There's duplicity. There's all these things that happen. And then in episode seven, it always sort of seems like not necessarily a whole lot of stuff happens in episode seven because they spend episode seven sort of reminding seven everybody. They, they seem really scattered at first until you realize what they're doing. 
And what they're doing is taking every single storyline and reminding you, here's where we are with this group of people in this place. And then they move to the next place. Here's what they're up to. Here's what they're up to. Here's what they're up to. Okay, we good? Because, um, I'm sorry, episode eight. They do this in episode eight. So episode eight is like, here's who, here's here's who's here in this group and interacting and here's what they're doing and they sort of run through their checklist of like here's everybody we've talked to you about even the people that you haven't seen yet this season we're gonna bring them in for a few minutes in episode eight because then episode nine is where everything jumps off everything yep. goes bananas in episode nine it's crazy town banana pants and Everything goes wild. It is the, it is like, you know, in, in a 50 minute episode, you've got 25 minutes of Bernard is the final Cylon for like 25 solid minutes. These guys, hand grenade. These guys, hand grenade. These guys, hand grenade. Whatever it is. And it's huge. And you get to the end of that episode and you're like, oh my God. And then you've got one more episode. And that next episode is like, Here's some of the aftermath. And part of that aftermath is the cliffhanger that we're going to dangle you with for a whole year until we come back next year. Okay, bye. Yeah. So if yeah, Game of Thrones that is, <laughs> has taught me anything. And, and they're, fo- they're following it exactly because e- even if you look at the plot points in episode five, uh, for example, the false resolution, mm-hmm. you know, it's that it's that false peak, you know, it's the part of the W, the middle part of the W. Yeah, because we're halfway. Uh, they're they're going they're going through it play by play. Mm-hmm. Which is why I want you to bring that up is because I heard a lot of complaining on uh Slack today that the real star of this episode is Basil Exposition. <laughs> as we all know. Uh, because he's in practically every damn scene. Yes. And, and that's that is the curse of episode eight in the HBO Game of Thrones model. Yes. And somebody pointed out, I think it was uh, John Sir, uh, Syracuse or uh, Glenn Fleischman pointed out, pretty damn funny considering uh, Charlotte Hale's uh, show don't tell line uh, to Lee Sizemore there <laughs> yes. uh, when they're jacking up, uh, when they're uh, before they go down to jack up Abernathy. So right. uh, when, they when did. He's building Buffalo Bill. Yeah. For yeah, <laughs> for yeah, Hannibal Lecter, building Buffalo Bill. Yeah, for <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, which is pretty fucking funny. Ty, this show gets so meta, so many different ways. Yes, it'll just make you crazy. In fact, I didn't even start laughing about that until my second viewing of the show, <laughs> and I just cracked up dead in that scene of the second viewing because it hit me. You really, you really do have to watch every episode more than once in, in order oh, to, yeah. to to comprehend it because it's really woven really deeply mm-hmm. and you know it's hard enough to keep stuff straight normally anyway but when you have multiple things going on on multiple levels like this i mean one indication of that is can you already believe that it's episode eight yeah you know <laughs> yeah i mean good point <laughs> because it, the season is almost over and it, yeah. feel, it feels like it just started you know so <laughs> that's a, I mean, yeah. That's I finally just, got a handle on everything, and now it's over. Right, exactly. But it's good because you have time to process it all, <laughs> and you'll be like, "Okay, when is it coming back? Let's get it back." You know, I want to find out what happens. What happened next? You know, blah blah blah. That's a sign of a good yeah. show. Oh, so, yeah. I just, I just don't want to suffer through eighteen months of fanfic. That's that's what I don't want to do. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be rough. 
Um, so overall, though, Ged, what did you think of this episode? Because I've I've seen a little bit of discussion about it, and some people are sort of like, um, and I don't know how much of this is just, you know, come down after last week's huge reveal but people were sort of like not much happened and i'm like of course not much happened because next week is episode nine like is that yeah. your stance or or did you it, i mean it, it was good it seemed it, like things happened it was a good episode and a lot did happen but it's hard to follow because things are jumping <laughs> around so much with the whole bit with dolores and you know it's just things are you can't keep it straight unless you know what you're looking at or you have a really good idea about what you're looking at. So right. things things feel confusing. So in that way, it feels like nothing is happening. When Ford calls Bernard down into the lab with Teresa and he tells her to kill her, you mm-hmm. know, that's a straightforward plot. That is, <laughs> you know, an action-oriented, oh, something is revealed, you know, we're going from A to B to C and, you know, so it's it's it has a lot of movement and a lot of, you know, it it's just is immediate and it feels like something is happening but when you go into the metaphysical stuff like in this episode it takes that some of that away it takes you out of the story a little bit and then there's all that exposition that you have to process too and so it's not as compelling and i think that's one of the reasons why people may be saying that nothing happened in this episode well, I think also part yeah. of it could be confusion because this was a thing that I had a hard time with until I sat down and Dawn and I had a brief conversation last night after the show was over because I didn't, I was having a hard time with the church. It's buried. It isn't. Um, you know, we see it at Dolores is seeing it fully realized in the world at one point And then we see them standing next to the steeple, which is underground. And, I was, and I, in my mind, somehow, um, the incident, which we know about that ultimately ended in the death of a guest, and... We think it's the death of a guest. Yeah. There's, That's there's what an they incident. A critical failure. Critical failure. Yeah. So, in my mind, the critical failure was also something that killed Arnold. But and different which is not the same thing so i was sort of looking at these as as the same like this event killed a guest and killed arnold and this was the critical failure and this is you know part of why things are the way they are now and all this stuff and uh and don is saying no there was a critical failure which is a thing and there's whatever happened to arnold which is a different thing yeah i tend tend to believe it's i think it's separate myself yeah Yeah. well it didn't occur to me that they would not be and then i was like oh well yeah of course that makes sense somehow in my mind they had become the same event so i'm right so it took it took it was kind of funny it took me a while to like work through it semantically with you but then the lights came on and then uh (laughs) let me go on the uh but i i had to do this with uh somebody else on the slack channel today too but let me go over the time frames so people know what we're talking about. And by the way, we don't say timelines anymore. No. We say time frames because they're not really timelines. That's like time travel. That's not really what's going on. Yeah, these are fixed the points story- that we know we have an approximation of when they actually happened in par- in within the story that we're being told. And these these actual 
day, you know, num- distance in the past, we know based on what characters have said, and hopefully they are more or less reliable narrators. So we know that 37 plus years ago, Ford and Arnold started their research with a few employees, right? Uh, Ford talks about that in the flashback where you see young Ford. Uh, that's in episode three. Yeah. And what we're everybody on the internet is suspecting now is sometime shortly after that, as they're wa- working on the hosts and everything, uh, those sessions that you see, I believe, in episode two and episode three with the fully co- clothed Dolores and the person who looks like Bernard, but we all suspect now that's Arnold. Mm-hmm. Uh, those happening in the basement diagno- diagnostic facility. Yeah. That's between 34 and 37 years ago. And then 34 to ish. 35 years ago, it, it, yeah, These most people ish. say 30-ish, that's when several things happen. One, Arnold probably dies, and that's probably at, near, before, after, slightly close to those memories that we see at Dolores in the uh, her uh, white church town, you know, where the, the white church is intact. And yeah. she's seeing, you know, the the host dancing and everything. And we see, we see uh, a very young, not young in terms of age, because hosts don't age, but a young in terms of programming. An Maeve, earlier model, Armistice and Angela, who Kelly and I, Kelly and I will forever refer to as <laughs> Elon Musk's ex-wife. <laughs> and then, which is then true, that, it's not like we're making yeah, that up and trying to be funny no, about no, something. No. Like they were married and no, they're not now. Yeah, Tallulah Riley there. And, and apparently they're good about it. Uh, but anyway, so that's about 34, 35 years ago. And then something happens there. It's probably alluded to by all the shooting that goes on in that memory with yes. Dolores. And then 30 years ago is when William and Logan arrive. We see them arrive, mm-hmm. if everybody's theory is correct, arrive uh, in the uh, Westworld. And we know now that the town, um, Dolores's hometown, the White Church, is buried, right? Yes. Uh, because, uh, uh, and we know that sometime because William and Dolores are standing there together right, in front and of in front of the at, buried steeple, in front of Vasquez Rocks, and they do not see either Jim Kirk or the Gorn, <laughs> or a Gorn. anywhere nearby. <laughs> Reference to uh, uh, season one, episode eighteen, Arena of St- uh, from Star Trek. Go back, watch that episode of Star Trek, and you will see <laughs> the same background right there where the church is. Uh, so um, uh, there's a lot of lot of stuff that's been filmed there. So anyway, um, uh, my, I have a know that the, I have a question. Yes. Yeah. My my biggest problem with all the the time frame stuff is the depiction of the actual robots it seems really played loose and for convenience you know at what point did the robots become mecha- from go from being mechanical to being like organic you, you mean know? from old bill to dolores right exactly well there's there's difference there there's you know there's old bill mechanical definitely not getting through the uncanny valley he looks creepy and then there's mechanical like uh young ford 
and the uh, Ford's family, which looks perfectly convincible, including the dog, mm -hmm. which bled out under the tree. Uh, we yeah. don't know. Until but Baby Ford's head opens up. Yeah, until Baby Ford's head opens up. We don't know. So clearly the mechanical host got to a point where they still could deceive you into thinking they were human. Mm -hmm. And then at some point in the past, it's... You know they were they were manufactured as the man in black says the cheaper way. You know instead of a million beautiful pieces, they're you know flesh like everyone else. I think that whole thing is kind of a red herring. Good, it doesn't really matter in the the telling of the story, and in, in a way, it doesn't really matter if if there are any hosts that still exist in the park that are mechanical either. The the important point is when do they when do they intellectually make leaps right. not not when do they make mechanical leaps I think for me I've sort of divvied them into kind of three categories so there's like the 1.0 hosts like old Bill who we saw in the first episode who hurks and jerks and when he lifts the glass to his lips you can hear the gears and all that kind of stuff so there and then. I sort of put him as the same as the people we saw dancing in the park in episode eight. Um, I think they're very, I think that's sort of the 1.0 iteration. Then we got a 2.0 iteration that I don't, and I don't know how much of the 2.0 folks we're actually seeing because what we are seeing is the 3.0 folks who have evolved beyond whatever anybody intended for them and yet, and yet and yet Dolores spans all three of those though Dolores yes. starts as an old bill right and and, and now she's, she's a 3.0 she's practically brand new right so that i mean again that's convenient you know that's right. that's yeah she's the oldest host yeah. in the park so she should be like old bill but she's not She's been upgraded but, and transferred from one type yeah. of of host to another. But well, that's, that's, that's we're just, making that's, that assumption, but we don't know. But that's, a, that's, that's a what sneaky, I said. This and, doesn't make any. No, that's a sneaky way for the for the show writers and stuff to try to trick you into not thinking that these are different time frames. That's okay. That's, that's totally uh, what that's all about. My hunch is that they were just using it uh, as you know because you know how how. Um, Peter Abernathy is in a different body now. Like I just sort of assumed they didn't tie the identity necessarily to the physical host body that it has right now. So Dolores yep. dot app started as 1.0 and is now running on shiny new hardware. You know, it's the, it's, I think it's that. So, well, yeah. And, and you get the, which is how is they get around that on the, HBO uh, fake website they did for Westworld because oh, they have the a procedure. Site, yeah. yeah, the Delos site because they talk about what the process is of recovering hosts because they talk about, you know, the host undertakers go and bury them and they fall through the floor and then the staff picks them up, you know, dead down there and revise them and stuff. And they said, if necessary, depending on the damage, they will remanufacture the host body. Yeah. So... Obviously, all the ones in whatever the present timeline are are re remanufactured host bodies. Is mm -hmm. that's what would be my guess? So, by the way, going back to time frame, so we were talking about thirty years ago with William and Logan. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and the church is buried, uh, then we also know that about a little over a year ago from present time is when the man in black kills Maeve and her daughter. Yes. And and we'll talk about the existential uh, crisis there later. And then Maeve uh, is retasked after that. Yes. Right. As the madam instead of as the um, homesteader. And then you uh, you basically have current time. And another thing that basically confirmed the multiple time frames theory to me, and very possibly, you know, uh, the man in black e- equals William, but it doesn't confirm it exactly. But there's something that uh, uh, Charlotte Hale says to Lee Sizemore in Sizemore's office when uh, he's... Uh, he's doing the silence of the lambs uh, routine there <laughs> uh, that um, basically she says in the current timeline that Ford has essentially already dug up a town on the edge of the park. Yeah. Right. And excavated it. So if that town is excavated, although we haven't seen it yet excavated, then when, how are uh, William and Dolores standing in front of a buried town? Exactly. So they have to be in the past after the, not the critical uh, failure, that's before the critical failure, but they're after the incident that buried the town. Mm -hmm. Those two different, you know, we can call one the incident and the other one the critical failure. Yeah. And by the way, I assume the critical failure is the death of the host, and I would put good money on it being Logan that who dies, right? Does anybody that's could, anybody want to could very uh, well be take my money yeah. on that? Yeah, that's my presumption as well. Is that that's that's what's going to happen to him? And I, my so let's let's play fun with theories. Um, Ged will remember this from the talk cast. Kelly has a crazy theory. Um, so I think, uh, I think Logan dies in the park, and I think that's uh, what. I think that's what sets the rest of William's life in motion. I think he yeah, ends up having to take over. He marries into the family. So now dad has an heir for whatever the company is, you know, and I think that's how William ends up with the life that he has, which he already told us in the last episode, he wasn't really all that big a fan of. And so I think that's sort of, I think that's what's going to end up driving him. And that's part of his narrative loop is he ends up being part of the um the company whatever this company is he ends up being part of that and then uh he uses the park as his outlet for all this time because he knows that's not the life he wants and he's sort of been locked into that and that's the narrative loop he can't escape until if the man in black theory is correct until last year when uh, his wife accidentally took the wrong pills and fell asleep in the bath. So, and he says 30 years of marriage vanished and we know that William is not married when they first come to the park. So I think this is what happened to him. And I think this is what motivated him. We know at some point he saved the park in some way. And I think that's what motivated him to make sure that it stuck around was so that he had somewhere to go so that he could blow off some steam. This is his release valve. Right. And then it became a way as 
as you know, he had the dis- a discussion with his daughter, he said at the funeral mm-hmm. and his daughter pushed him away and said, you know, no, you're, you know, mom killed herself because she thinks you're a monster. Because of you. Yeah. Right. And, you know, Teddy says, and so you abuse them too, like you did. Yeah. And he was like, no, he never touched them. Yeah. On the outside world. It's, but in a way he didn't doubt his wife was right. Yeah. And he so knew for him, she could see something in him that he wasn't necessarily showing her. Right. So he came, he came to Westworld in the first time to push that as far as he could with Maeve. And what he learned was these, you know, these, these beings can become real people, mm-hmm. which is why, which is why he says things like, you know, you're not really real until, you know, you're, you're stressed or you're breathing your last or whatever his line is from episode oh, yeah. four. And, uh, when he's talking to Lawrence and then, yeah. uh, and start shooting his yeah. family. Yeah. And so, um, so what I see is the man in black is trying to be cruel to be kind mm-hmm. to make these people remember. And that's why he stops being an asshole in a way to Teddy when Teddy starts remembering. Of course, he's, you know, he's bound up, so yeah. he can't really uh, abuse Teddy at that point. But he But he could still talk to him oh, the way he talked to Lawrence, which was... Exactly. Yeah. As a person, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... um uh, so that was really cool, but you know we're we're jumping to the end when we need to <laughs> talk true. about the beginning here, and one of the big themes, you know, the whole title of the episode, Trace Decay, yeah, which is this conversation between Ford and Bernard about, and it's it's mimicked through you know Sylvester and Felix talking to Maeve about how her memory works, this whole idea that human memories fade over time, but host memories don't. Yeah. And uh and that whole discussion about uh that Ford and Bernard had about the pain. Mhm. Kelly? Yeah, it was um this was a thing that I sort of thought about a lot. Um because this was one of the ones that I sort of turned over in my head and I'm trying to scroll back and find the place uh, where I actually added that and I'm not finding it, but it was his exact quote and I put it in. Yeah. The pain is all I have left of, of him. Yeah. The pain is all I have left of him. And when he, and, and when he talks about, uh, what did he say? Uh, uh, the part that makes me real. Oh, what here it is. What's the difference between your pain, between my pain and yours, between you and me? That's Bernard's question. Bernard asks this of Ford, and Ford says, "That was the question that consumed Arnold." And then, just when you didn't think it was possible, Ford gets even more fucking terrifying because he sort of goes. He basically comes down and says, yeah, Arnold believed that at some point you all could become real and that's not true because I built you. And so I know that you will always be lesser. You will always be a machine no matter how much consciousness you have. Like it doesn't really matter. And basically my opinion of you is the same as my opinion of humanity, 
you know, consciousness doesn't necessarily make you good or better or anything else for that matter. Um, I think Ford just wants to watch the whole world burn. So watching him build stuff is weird. It's going to be cool, though. I think there's going to come a time, there's going to come a scene eventually down the line when Ford actually realizes what he's built. Rot? Yeah, what he's rot. And and how when it actually does turn on him and when it actually, he doesn't have actual control over it anymore, Mm -hmm. how that is going to be played by Anthony Hopkins because I think that that will be his like, you know, Emmy. Yeah, his Emmy totally. I mean, he's he's already deserves an Emmy because he's brilliant in Westworld, and um, he he's one of the main reasons why I wanted to watch the show, and I'm sure a lot of people have tuned in because of Anthony Hopkins. Hey, but it's that guy, yeah, yeah the the way he plays Ford and the way that it's written. Mm-hmm. Everything is so calculated. He knows exactly what's going on. He's not afraid of the hosts in any way, shape, or form. You know, he randomly cuts into them with a scalpel in the lab, and he's just like, they're not real, you know, and he yeah. starts dissecting him. And, you know, even when Bernard starts going off the rails here and totally goes Hulk on him, he's, he's like, that's enough, you know, yeah. and then Bernard freezes, and, you know, but there's going to come a time when that's not going to work. And yes. and in that moment when that happens, you're gonna see some serious shit, and it's gonna be, it's gonna it's gonna be great. It's gonna be awesome TV, you know. And I don't know when it'll happen. It may not happen next season. It may not. I don't know, you know. But eventually it will, and it'll so, be great. Let me ask you this, Ged. At the beginning, um, and and this was. I I don't know how how conscious I was of this, but. When we first meet Ford briefly in episode one, you know, we see a little bit of him. He comes in and he, he, he talks for a minute and we don't really see a lot of him at that point. All we really know is he's the boss and we know nothing of his motivation or anything like that. And I got a very sort of John Hammond out of him, the guy that ran Jurassic Park. Yeah, cross between John Hammond and Walt Disney, you know. Yeah, he was really like, I'm, I'm just trying to build something great for people. I want to tell my stories. I think it's fun. And by the end, it, you know, by episode eight, like at first, you know, I had like these nice feelings for this guy who is is building this park and super creative, and you know, he he must be interesting. Let's get to know him better. So we get to know him better, and now we're down to it rubs the lotion on its skin. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's scary. I mean, he's the scariest one in the show. And we hit that point sure. like last episode, and he's even creepier now. And that speaks volumes again of Hopkins, because he can pull that off and it's like, wow, he's really doing that. You know, yeah. told, totally cold calculating, you know, everything is measured and precise and within his grasp, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what part of what makes him so, such an awesome character. Yeah. But at the beginning, didn't you sort of feel that way about him too? Like, he's oh, yeah, totally. kind of a, like a fun, interesting grandpa, you know, and we're going to get to see, 
we're going to get a peek into this really amazing world that he built, and he's sort of like this benevolent dictator. Yeah, I read reviews that said that they didn't expect Hopkins' character to to amount to anything in the show, and they thought he was just going to be a cameo every now and then, who uh, yeah. you know, of someone who was going to you know be integral to the formation of the park, but not like in ev- in the yeah. main storyline, you know, and how wrong that was, you know. <laughs> oh, I would say so, I, and I mean, I think the. Th- the thing this time, um, the conversation that he has with Bernard in the opening about the the nature of consciousness mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, in Ford's mind, it it doesn't matter and that he sees humans thinking that they are conscious as a vanity. To him, he doesn't see any difference in a way between uh, the hosts and the humans. Not, not that all. this is all that, not that all, this is all that reassuring to Bernard. Right. Uh, but, you know, he still sees himself as, well, I've got to be the guy in control. Right. I've got to tell the stories. Well, and he uh, does I mean, so he is he, quoting Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> quoting, you know, uh, Frankenstein. In in all earnestness, without irony, I mean, th- that's uh, and I, by the way, I'm sure Hopkins, you know, knew that passage by heart anyway. He's got an incredible memory, it's or so it's old. Uh, but the writers are really having a lot of fun with this and uh, this whole nature of uh, of what's a human and what's a not with him. And really, you're still not sure. Of what Hop of Ford's motiva- motivations are, right? Well, everyone everyone has What's different really motivations. Driving him, you know, the company has its own motivations, which are completely different from his, which are different from the actual host and everything else. You know, it's funny though when you think about it, because Hopkins is at this point in his career where he doesn't need to do anything that doesn't interest him. Right. You know, there's no point in being on this show unless it offers something intellectually or creatively for him and that's exactly why he took the part you can you can totally see it you know now here at the end of season one about why he signed on to westworld you know Mm -hmm. it's totally oh totally fun and it it, it's allowing him to 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 play a character that he gets to develop and create and and it's just yeah, layer totally, it, and it's it's wonderful. And that, I mean, that looking back on that, like, whoever thought he would just be a a, a wallflower in the show really wasn't thinking it through. Um. Yeah, I can, I can see after the first episode, I was like, well, you know, they they made kind of a big deal of of Anthony Hawkins being in this show, and I sort of couldn't figure it out either. And I'm like, well. Now that they've talked about when the park was built, they must be going to use him in flashbacks or something. And that's why we're going to, you know, that's why he's like in the cast and not a a with at the end or special guest, you know, in the credits is because he's part of the cast because we're going to see stuff about how the park started. Okay. Like, I didn't. And he's an and part of the cast. You know, he and Ed Harris are always listed last. Yeah. So. But he's not like a special guest or anything. So, you know, no, he doesn't no, no. drop in and out of the credits. So, so I figured, so, all right. Okay. So we're going to see more of. I, I got a question started. for you you guys uh, now, though, because it's about 
50-50 out there on the internet, you know, on places like Reddit and other ones, who survives season one? Because if the Westworld showrunners, Nolan and Joy, are really going by the Game of Thrones model, somebody has to get their head cut off, right? There's not that many humans yeah, left, just, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so at the top of the list of people not surviving... Mm-hmm. Uh, the first season, well, Teresa was on that list, and yeah, we know what happened to her. So is Ford on that list? I hope not. No. I hope not either. I hope not, because the show is so either. much better with him in it, you know? Yeah. And if you lose Ford right now, you lose a lot of momentum in the story yeah. and, and the backstory and all of that. You know, his story would have to be told through flashbacks, and that's just, you know, yeah, that's not fun. But can we and, take a sci-fi yeah. nerd moment and talk about how it was cool as hell that they actually had him in the lab 30 years ago? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I thought that moment was super awesome. And I just wanted to share that because I thought it was really They did cool. a great job with that effect. They really did. Um, here's, here's who I think is going to get it in the next two episodes. Um, and, I'll, and I even have backup for this. Um, one of the things that we saw in episode eight was uh, Bernard eliminating traces of any trace of his relationship with Teresa because nobody was supposed to know. And it was something that Ford ordered him to do. So you see him like plucking her hair off the couch and you see him go into this drawer and scoop out all these notes that Teresa had written him that he had kept. And one of those notes, because I paused it, because I, I, I'm on a podcast. I had to know for science. Um, I paused it on... Science. <laughs> I paused it for all the notes, but this is the one that gets me. Bernie, thanks for the lovely lighter. A flame from my flame. Yours, Teresa. Now, when I added this in the notes, uh, Don referred to it as Stubbs candy. So I think... <laughs> here's what I think. Is now that Stubbs has had this really weird conversation with Bernard in the hallway where he's like, uh, I know the two of you were right. <laughs> and Bernard denies it. And Bernard's like, what? Yeah. Well, he doesn't even deny it as much as he sort of acts like it's the first he's heard of this, you know? And so whatever Stubbs, whatever has led Stubbs down this road, uh, is probably pretty solid. He doesn't seem like a guy to hear a couple people talking at the coffee maker and decide it's fact. So my theory is some, somehow that lighter's going to come back to us because we got a clear shot of that note in the episode. So this note is going to be, that lighter is going to be a thing that's going to somehow show Stubbs that all is not as it seems with Teresa and her theft and satellite uplink, et cetera, et cetera. And it's going to sort of come to him on accident and he's going to chew on it and he's going to try and figure out what's going on, turn it over in his brain and he'll cogitate on it for a while. And then something will happen and he'll get taken to the basement and that'll be the end of him. Bernard will take off his tie and his glasses and that'll be that. Yeah, so you're talking like... uh what was that thing? And you remember in Breaking Bad, there was that book of poetry. What it was? Oh, Leaves of Grass. Yes. <laughs> that um, the brother-in-law found 
And yes, in the bathroom. Yep. Pointed it back to, to him. Yeah, it'll yeah. be like that Breaking Bad moment. It's absolutely going to be that, um, except we're not going to have to wait a year and a half before we find out how it turns out. Um, so that I think that's I think Stubbs is he's probably the highest on my list of people. Um, now that we know Sylvester is still useful and isn't going to get it anytime soon. Because uh, that was kind of that was. Well, what about Elsie, though? Let's talk about Elsie. Well, she's not dead and remember bernard's question because you have to take everything you can't take anything at face value and and imply anything when these are the people behind your show so bernard says did you have you had me or did you order me to hurt anybody else like Teresa? not kill just hurt and then he has the flashback of he's the one who grabbed elsie Yes, which, which I feel is, like was a pretty big moment in this episode. It's weird though because well, not only grabbed the, her, but obviously he's got his hands around her. He now. was on yes. the phone with her though when that happened. I don't understand how that happened. No, he's on the phone for uh, with her before, but she's been in there for a while. If you go back to that's episode six, six? episode six, uh, she's been in there a while uh, on uh, after <gasps> she got off the phone to but, him. So. She says Arnold, and then she gets grabbed. So what if yeah. Arnold isn't dead? Well, it'd be pretty funny if he looked exactly like, uh, without the age change as Bernard. We know he does look like uh, Bernard. That's That much is obvious. Right. But why would Bernard have that memory of Arnold doing that? Ar- I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Arnold is not a black guy. Arnold is a, is a white guy. No, no, he's he. Arnold looks exactly like Jeffrey Bernard. Wright. Yeah. God, yeah, it's obvious. Go back to episode three, the photograph that Ford shows Bernard without fear, the photograph of three people. Ford as a young man, and who Bernard, because he can't see the third person in the photograph, his programming won't allow him. The, the person in the middle of the photograph is Ford's dad, right? The, the mm-hmm. robot Ford's dad. Whom but Arnold see, built as a gift for Ford, if you recall. Right, right. He built right. Ford, his but, family, okay. as a gift. So here's, so, and then there's a weird space on the right-hand side of the photo. Yeah. And it's, it, it's the same, get it's the same thing as the what door moment. You're seeing this photograph from bernard's perspective which means right? you don't see bernard in it exactly and my get i will lay good money on the fact that we'll somehow be in ford's office again for the end of the season and the camera will zoom in on that photograph mm-hmm. and we will see that there's a third person jeffrey wright photo. is on the right side of the photograph i would put money on that as well i think that's yeah yeah, so um, I think that's that's a thing that I think is gonna is gonna come back to us too. So, Ged, what were you gonna say about it? No, no, that that's I got nothing there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, when, yeah, I have yeah. one question though. Have you guys watched Humans at all? Uh, the show, uh, the U.S. version or the U.K. The version? U.S. version of it. Oh, okay. No, I have not. I have not. 
What about Deadwood? Have you watched Deadwood? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How would you say that Deadwood compares to Westworld? <laughs> There's less swearing uh, in Sweetwater. <laughs> yeah, but probably more on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, that would be... Uh, um. Are you asking as a comparison to a Western or just to an HB, a typical HBO show? Like the drama of it. Oh. oh. I th- I think it's similar. Mm-hmm. I would say that. And I'm, I'm still pissed it only went three seasons. What the hell's up with that HBO? Right? <laughs> okay, I'm just curious about that. <laughs> So let's talk for a minute about uh, almost the end of the episode where uh, William and Dolores have hit the road and this posse rolls up on them. And who's the head of the posse in that spiffy (laughs) little uniform? That bastard Logan. Yep. Uh, They kind of gave it away in... Uh, I think Jimmy Simpson or Evan Rachel Wood or both of them earlier in the day in a tweet, a funny tweet they put out, you know, those uh, that um, uh, Ben Barnes would be back as Logan in that episode. He gets all of like two lines, but he, he technically is back. Yeah. So, But I'm, I'm interested to see, cause I, Let's start with Ged. I'm going to ask all you guys the same question. Uh, Ged, what do you think is going to happen with those three? I, I don't know. I mean, he obviously has some serious problems, you know, with his friend, <laughs> you know. So I think anything's possible. And, of course, you know, humans can kill humans in the park. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... I mean, I mean, your theory about him being the one that dies and him being the critical failure is a good one, I think. And it probably is correct. Um, we'll have to wait and see, obviously. But I would put money on that. Um, yeah, so as far as we know from show news, uh, one, uh, HBO is renewed uh, Westworld for a second season. Yes. Yay. And we know that the only cast member confirmed by that cast member, their agent, as coming back next season uh, is Ed Harris mm-hmm. uh, as the man in black. And so I assume, you know, the the other principals are coming back, but some of the other more minor characters, they haven't said diddly squad. So, I mean, Don, what's obviously your about to, what's going to happen with, with uh, the next two episodes? Oh, my theory about... About uh, these three. About uh, Dolores, William, and Logan. Uh, Logan? Yeah. Well, I think Logan's going to, you know, totally act out and try to uh, punish his future bro- brother-in-law and more than likely try t- to punish William by tormenting Dolores in front of him. That would be my guess. Okay, and how does that play out? Uh, I think it explodes in his face. Uh, I don't know if it's Dosa's ex machina, somebody else comes in or whatever, or, 
you know, the, uh, the, the real Union soldiers mixed up with the Confederados there. But I think in the end, uh, something is going to happen either at the end of Episode 9 or in Episode 10 where William has a man in black moment and he truly does something. Evil. Turns to the dark side. Yeah. Uh, and hmm. I, because you saw a little bit of that with William this time where remember before. Um, well, they're using the same Dolores vocabulary her, now. The man in black and yes. William are starting to sort of say the same things. And, and right. did he, and also, he did, did he let that for, guy die by the riverside or did he kill him? Yeah, we don't know, yeah. but he was obviously not keen on saving this guy. Right. Which he's starting to go down the path, right? And mm-hmm. you'll also notice, as somebody pointed out last week, look at his shirt. Yup. It is exactly the same shirt that the man in black is wearing. Mm-hmm. It's those, you know, it's those pin, it's that gray, what do they call that? Pinstripe? Well, it's, it's got pin tucks in it. Yeah, pin tuck shirt. Yeah. It's the gray pin tuck shirt. Small ruffle kind of down each side of the buttons. Yeah. The vertical. Yeah. It looks now, like stripes, but it's tiny out. folds in fabric. Yeah, William didn't start out with that. No, he was wearing but the how much lighter you shirt. Make a, he was wearing the lighter gingham shirt. Mm-hmm. How much you want to make a bet next episode or 10, he loses that white hat of his and he has to pick up somebody else's. Oh, hat. I'm sure. So my theory you know. is that the critical failure is that Dolores ends up killing Logan over Logan and William going toe-to-toe. That could be. That somehow she... The two of them are having conflict. I know. <laughs> have to be some major major failure, though, because you can't be with a gun. So it's critical. But remember, she couldn't shoot a gun. When Teddy tried to show her how to shoot, she couldn't do it. And then she started hearing voices in her head, and then she could shoot the gun at the guy in the barn. Yeah, but I'm just saying mechanically the the gun can't kill Logan. So Right, but I think something she does somehow ends up making him dead and maybe that's what buries the town or or because of who Logan is, they bury the town and go, "Oh, there was this horrible thing and and it accidentally killed him so that nobody finds out that the park was actually responsible." Like that a host was responsible for doing this. I think that's what happens is that a host, I think a host kills him whether it's with a gun or not, and I think it's Dolores. And I think that's the critical failure. Right. The other thing, uh, that's going to be interesting to see. I have like two other sort of theories here. Um, well, one is just, I, I have no idea where the Maeve storyline is going other than I'm pretty sure she gets her army and mm-hmm. you know that army is going to consist of uh, Hector and Armistice. I can't wait to and, see how her and Bernard right. hang out. Like that cup of coffee is going to be fun to watch. Well, it's pretty clear that Bernard's going to examine her in episode nine mm-hmm. in in headquarters and try to figure out why she why she killed uh, New Clementine. Yeah, and I think Maeve is going to put the hex on Bernard and open him up <gasps> again so he remembers. Right, that's my theory as to what. Okay. What happens? And I also think Maeve's going to open up a can of whoop ass inside headquarters. It's been like two um, episodes since she opened a can. It's time. Yeah, it's time she opened one. <laughs> the other thing that I, I I am starting with the help of some people online, starting to figure out what the hell this 
incident that happened. This is before the critical failure. This is what buries the town. What this has to do with Ford's new storyline. And you're going to have to stick with me on this. It's a little fucking wacky. But based on some footage on the HBO site Mm -hmm. and some other things, I I, I talked about this on the Slack channel earlier, is that um, I'm starting to believe that in the past, 34 years ago, uh, it was the Teddy bot before he was Teddy in that role. Oh, that shoots everybody. Yeah, because we see him in her flashback shooting people, right? Uh not in the show last night. You see someone shooting someone in the haze, but I have you know I've done the Blade Runner enhance <laughs> uh, routine on that on that uh, fr- uh, that couple of frames multiple times this afternoon. And I'm pretty sure that's Teddy shooting everybody down. So, but we know from um, Elon Musk's ex-wife, Angela there, uh, Tallulah Riley, uh, stabbing Teddy in the neck in the current time, the present yeah. time frame. We know that Teddy is not Wyatt. So the question is... Who is? But we know that... Teddy thinks he's the assistant to Wyatt and he did awful things in the past. You know, those scenes that you go through Mm -hmm. and look of uh, when Teddy remembers him and Wyatt killing people. Yeah. Go back and superimpose the scenes from last night of the people dying in the, uh, in the uh, Dolores's home white church town. And they are framed almost exactly alike oh. and by the way the backgrounds it's the same fucking town yeah it's got the same little uh nice scroll work on the columns it's the same town mm-hmm. so here's my theory i think dolores is essentially wyatt oh that it was dolores as arnold's vehicle who basically institutes this upheaval to destroy the park, right? Because that's what's going on. That's why this whole thing had to be buried. All the hosts had to be redone and all this other shit. Some bad stuff happens. And I think Dolores has Arnold's vehicle with assistance from Teddy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember how Teddy in the future, in the backstories he's given... He talks about Wyatt hearing voices in his head. And he comes back with some strange... Like, he's missing for a few days, and he comes back with some strange ideas. Comes back with strange ideas. And remember Ford telling Teddy when he gives him this backstory? You know, like all great stories, it's based on something that's true. I actually wrote that down. Would you like that, Teddy? A small part in my new narrative, a fiction which, like all great stories, is rooted in truth. Exactly. So, I will put money... On this theory, I'm pretty sure we're going to, this is one of the big things that makes that Kelly, that will make your head explode. (laughs) So, so we can see the maze stamped in the underside of your skull there. Uh, Sometime in episode 10. I don't think we find that out in nine though. I think, you know, it loads up and we find out in 10 because that's the big reason. That's, that's going to be my guess. That makes sense because, you know, the, that's Dolores on the horse in the opening credits. 
you know, blazing her gun <gasps> and, yep. you know, wreaking hell fury down upon the Westworld, you know. Yeah. And I was wondering what what brought Dolores to that state that is shown, you know, half human, half robot and yeah, full yeah. of piss and vinegar and blazing, guns blazing and everything from the opening. Well, that's credits. a really good way to put it. Yeah. She's she's definitely up that day. And and the um Raman Jawadi, uh the composer and music director for the show, as well as the people who've done the titles have said everything that is in the title sequence is significant. Oh yeah. Well of course. It's just yeah. like uh it I mean Teddy is the Teddy is the the main bot being dipped there at the end. Yeah. Yep. Of the, oh. the opening credits. Yep. That would be my guess. Yeah. It, it, no, you don't have to guess. You can see it's his face. You you, you can yep. tell that it's Teddy. So. Oh my gosh, I never looked. Yeah. All right. So coming up in the next episode of Live from the Uncanny <laughs> Valley, we're going to have a frame-by-frame breakdown of the opening credits because apparently we need to know that shit before we <laughs> if we're going to keep watching. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys ever watch it? Did you guys ever watch Evangelion? The anime, yeah, I didn't okay. see. Okay, well, in that it's been a really long time, but yes, right. In that, in that, you know, anime, the end credit credit sequence for every episode. There's like twenty five episodes or whatever. The end sequence is always the same thing. While the credits run, there's just like this floating figure that revolves in a tank, yeah. you know, and. You're like, oh, that's cool, you know, whatever. You didn't know until the. I'm not going to spoil it for anything, but for anyone. But that that final sequence in the credits was like key to the whole series, and you didn't even eventually you didn't even know it until the final episode or near the final episode, you know. Mm -hmm. But there was foreshadowing, you know, the big thing in the series the entire time at the end of of every episode, you know. And they're doing the same thing here in Westworld. They're foreshadowing all the stuff, you know, in that opening sequence. And they can do that because they've written it all. They know Mm -hmm. where the story is going. They know what's significant and what's not. Unlike stupid Battlestar Galactica (laughs) that that didn't have a clue where it was going and, you know, meandered in its last two seasons. I am so pissed at Ronald Moore for that. You know, it's like the writers of Lost. It's like, Jesus. See, I would be mad at at Ronald D. Moore if it weren't for Lost. All my, all my, That's true. all my piss and vinegar for what the hell did you well, just well, do well, to me after all these episodes of this show? Damn you! Goes to well, goes he, to Lost. It doesn't he, go to Battlestar Galactica. Ronald D. Moore still d- d- deserves a, a place at the table with the Lords of Cobol, <laughs> if nothing else, for the miniseries, which I think is like. Some of the finest three hours of television. Oh, three hours, so right? good! Finest three hours of television ever made was the the mini. I saw that and I, I and thirty three. Thirty three is in there yeah. too. Thirty three is just yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, the whole fr- the whole first season is is marvelous, but the mini series was like, okay, I'm fuck, I'm signed up, I'm I'm shipping. You know, we're just going to be watching this every fucking day. Oh, yeah. right. But the difference between then and now is that when showrunners go and pitch a story or pitch a creative universe or whatever to those who will fund it and create it and film it and produce it they need to now be able to say to those people 
we know what's going to happen. We know the yeah, story. We know the where it's Babylon going. Model. Right. We, we like we have a beginning, a middle, and an end. We have a plan. We're going to stick to it, and here it is. You know, or maybe they don't even tell them what that plan is, but they they have to outline. But they have one. Right. They have one, and they know where they're going because they want to avoid the Lost Season syndrome lost. or the the Battlestar Galactica thing. You know, especially when it comes to something like HBO because they have a higher standard. Mm-hmm. You know, and they expect the show to right. to have a beginning middle and end just like game of thrones you know they they know where it's going to end up mm-hmm. you know yeah but and, yeah but I, I i hate to be i hate to be the pain in the ass about uh <laughs> that with hbo but fade to black for the sopranos how old now, was that whether or not you like <laughs> when was the last episode of the sopranos how old was that oh uh, that was what was that that was oh, oh, six? Seven or oh eight. No, I don't I, remember. I thought it was 07. But you're probably right about 06. It's true. TV's not the same. It was 10 years a 10 years uh 10 2007. Years it was pr- yeah, 2007. I thought it was 2007. So, yeah, but you know, they don't do it perfectly. And Now, here's the thing though and, is that they had one. There is an ending. Whether you like it or not is a different thing. But David yeah, Chase went into true. that knowing the knowing that that ending I I believe in in interviews I've read like he knew he was gonna end it like up in the air kind of he wasn't gonna put a bow on the top it's not the finale of Downton Abbey where you get an answer to everybody's storyline and and thank god for that you don't have to go that far right but But it 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 left it 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 was abrupt because everybody who watched the thought uh show said boy that's abrupt oh yeah even if it's an end, it, yeah. it may not work. And so, but problem, let's not talk about the Sopranos. My so, bigger sorry, problem, my bad. My bigger problem is more season three of Lost, where they didn't know how much longer they were going to tell this story. They didn't know much how long, how much longer they were going to have to stretch it out, and flailed. Season three of Lost is just flailing around, and let's throw it all to the wall and see if anything sticks. And by the time they threw it all up there, they couldn't figure out what was actually stuck to the wall. So three was a disaster area. Like, I'm not even going to get into the ending, which was a fundamental switch. Like, you pulled the rug out from under me after spending all that time establishing the world and explaining to me that, no, this isn't what's happening. Then you tell me this is exactly what happened. So I felt like I was lied to. And that's my big problem with the end of Lost. But anyway... That's why shows that set up their own rules are important mm-hmm. that they follow them. Yes. Because like, when they when they ignore their own rules that they've yep, spent yep. time creating and crafting mm-hmm. and calling your attention to, then you feel betrayed. Then you feel like, okay, what's the point of even watching this? Because you're ignoring the the universe. physics the physics of the universe that you've yeah. created. You know? Yeah, like if you build a world, it's up to you to create those laws and then it's up to you to respect them and that was my big problem with lost and i never felt like battlestar galactica set anything up where the end was where the end was not what it should have been i didn't particularly care for it but i didn't feel like i was lied to 
for all that time. No, we weren't lied to, but they, but they clearly didn't know where they were going. Right. Ron Moore had, had no clue how to end the show, and he, yeah. had to, he had to write himself out of a corner, basically, right. for the show. Which and is th- why, at the time, Babylon 5 was, like, revolutionary. Wasn't it Babylon 5? Yeah. That went in and said, five, yeah. and said, uh, this is the story, and it's going to take us five seasons to tell it, and that's all there's going to be. And we're good. Yeah? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, and then and so, yes, I love so on that note, that, but yeah. if we know what we want, <laughs> so where does Westworld go season two? What is its larger arc? Is it, you know, revolution, the bots take over the world? Well, well the first... Where is this going? We have to start with how much, how much history are we going to cover? So we know there is a critical incident. Are we going to see it this season? Or is that what second season is all about? Is the incident and its fallout? I think they would have people uh, storm the offices of HBO if we don't find out what some of that is this season. Well, we might get some uh, setup, but I don't know if we get the entire incident until maybe episode one or two of next season. And then season two is fallout so that we still are playing with the history of the park. Well, what's clear from listening to interviews with um, Evan Rachel Wood mm-hmm. And uh, Jimmy Simpson and um, uh, not Ed Harris, I'm trying to think, um, uh, 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 Jeffrey Wright, that they don't wrap it all up and put a bow on it. No. But as Evan Rachel Wood said, there's no cliffhanger. That's not where they're going with this. Okay. And so I was like, what? And so... um, I don't think they answer all the questions, but what she said, what she implied is that Westworld is so large and so big and the technology is so diverse. She said you could tell stories forever for years in that world, in that space Mm -hmm. and, you know, tell stories in parallel to the story that's going on now. Mm. Right. So, I mean, you could go American Horror Story with this and just have an anthology of like the stuff that we saw where Elsie went to, you know, cold storage or whatever it is, where you see like a bunch of stuff that looks like ancient Rome and you see a bunch of stuff that looks like, uh, what was the, other? there was two. It was, was fu- like- future world and Roman world. Yeah. Well, it was medieval world and Roman world. Medieval world and Roman world. So there's two right there that have, two air quote civilizations have risen and fallen. Like, what are those stories? So we could go, you know, forever just on that kind of stuff. Plus there's the story of the whole real world. Right. The outside of the park world. You know, they've said in in interviews that we're going to see that world before the end of season one. So I'm waiting for that too. Well, that may be... That may be where, you know, Aberth, Abernathy gets out and gets his uh, funk on. <laughs> uh, speaking of speaking of other things that happened oh. in this episode, because we're speaking of everything, uh, other things that happened in this episode, not only do we learn from the conversation of uh, Felix and Sylvester had with Maeve about how memory works, mm-hmm. the difference between hosts and humans, you know, humans memory is imperfect host memory is not is perfect and that's why 
they are constantly reliving things. If they didn't wipe their memory, that would happen. The other thing we find find out from that conversation is that hosts will explode if they leave the park. Right. As uh, it's the what is it, the C eight C seven C C six or C eight? I remember it was an even number. Vertebrae explodes if they go outside the park. So obviously, Maeve has figured out a way around this mm-hmm. because she has superpowers now. Um, the other thing that I was thought was a significant reveal, and this goes to the MIB equals William shippers out there, is that when Teddy uh, and uh, the man in black are taking their horses down uh, into that camp that's been ravaged by um, the knights who say knee. Um, didn't everybody think that at the end of the episode when they show the blinds? It looks like the knights who say knee to me. Well, and then the one anyway, with the mask with the horns. I was just waiting for him to come into the firelight. There are some who call me Tim. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Or 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 to start talking about wanting a shrubbery. Yes. So yeah. So um. So anyway, they come in and there's uh, Ellen Musk's ex-wife tied up, and then uh, the man in back black recognizes her, and uh, uh, I forget what he says, but it's like you know, I guess Ford doesn't like you know oh, won't let a pretty face. I guess go to Ford waste. never likes to waste. Yeah, never likes to waste. Uh, he says uh, it's you. I figured they retired you, so that's obviously a nod to. You know, William seeing her in episode two mm-hmm. in her second role. That was her second role. Uh, and then there's the um, uh, the whole thing about, uh, I thought was interesting is, did the man in black actually wake Maeve up, you know, at least a year earlier before Maeve ever heard you know, violent oh. delights have violent ends from Dolores. Cause he said, you know, for one moment when she was, you know, caring about her child who isn't really her child or whatever, you know, it's all roles that she was truly alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they show the scene where Maeve is back in uh, the center and goes batshit crazy with uh, Ford and Arnold. And that's when Ford, hysterically plays her um debussy's uh reverie to calm her down yeah talk about you know irony with a <laughs> two by four clue by um, four we call that yeah clue by four um but she's she's clearly not really forgetting because she suddenly wakes up against and stabs her in the neck so my my question is is like jesus christ how, how the hell did she not get thrown into cold storage right there right how did they convince her, you know, otherwise? And she's clearly becoming self-aware then. So did was Ford okay with this? I mean, because in the end, we, we go back to episode one. He's the person supposedly responsible for the reverie code. Mm-hmm. So what's Ford's long game here? Mm-hmm. And in this episode, we hear him telling Bernard, like, I think it's great that you're showing these emotions, right? Yeah. So like... And he trashes uh, Arnold wanting to think the hosts are something more, but it's like he's playing them something more. So Ford is an enigma wrapped in a mystery, you know, 
buried with a church out in the fucking desert. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's carrying a watch chain. Yeah. So the long game here is nutty, and I, I, I and you don't really see that in a way until you see Maeve's backstory here, which is why I think next episode, I bet money on you know Maeve having the conversation with Bernard. I bet Bernard is the one who interviews her in the yeah in the complex. So how about you, Gad? I'm. I mean. I'm just happy that it's a good show. I was really worried about it. You know, honestly, for a long time, I was really worried it wouldn't be able to live up to my expectations and also live up to the hype. And also living up to the mantle of a replacement for Game of Thrones. Right. Because that's really what HBO wanted out of Westworld. Mm-hmm. And they're totally getting it. You know, I think that the, the buzz around the show and everything is as high or higher than they expected. Of course, it got renewed for a second season. Like, it wasn't going to be renewed. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be renewed for all five seasons but it could have it could have not i mean you know as as you and i both know ged we live in a post phantom menace world and sure it it could have been you know catastrophic failure but you had to believe though that with all of the retooling and all of the production problems that they've been through that that was part of it was hbo making sure that the show was solid and good and you know deserving of everything that's what i wanted to and and it was retooling of the same variety that game of thrones went through Mm -hmm. because they they reshot uh the pilot well parts of the pilot same as with west uh, westworld and recast part of the show Mm -hmm. uh for that so yeah so i'm i mean i'm just I'm really curious to see where it goes in the future seasons. I'm again, I'm dumbfounded that it's already episode eight. It's almost done. You know, we're we're gonna have. I like that there's no mid season break. Yeah. In the, in the show, you know, we 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 go and it's like watching it on Netflix, but not that compressed. You yeah. know, but at the same time, I'm glad we have a week in between episodes. I would not want to binge watch Westworld. Oh God, no! I couldn't. Yeah. I'd have to go, like, add episodes of My Little Pony in between or something. It would be doing such a disservice to the show, honestly. Well, yeah, because you, know? you, don't, you don't get to sit and peel it back and think about it. And right, that's exactly. one of the things that I have loved about this, about this particular show and this season is it's given me, for as much as I bitched about Lost earlier, it's given me that old Lost feeling from season one where... Um, you would get a new layer at the end of an episode, you know, right before the little noise and you'd kind of go, Ooh, and then you'd have like all week to think about it and talk to people about it at the water cooler and whatever. And being able to share that with people weekly, like to me was fantastic. And I really liked it. And I get the same feeling about this show that I did about, again, the first season of lost and the first season of Battlestar Galactica where I've I feel I feel like I'm just getting like settled in and then I think back and like so much stuff has happened in the eight hours of television we've had so far and it doesn't like it feels really short but it feels really long kind of at the same time like there's a whole lot of stuff that we've processed every single episode and I think part of that comes from only getting one a week and having it dished out onesie twosie as opposed to you know the closest we came to binging 
was when they released episode two early on HBO Go right. <laughs> so that yeah. people could watch episode so, one it, and catch up. So, uh, yeah, because, yeah, I watched the first two uh, together at the same time, yeah. although I had to, uh, although I had to purge myself uh, in between because I was so like, oh my God, this is so awesome. For watching episode two is stronger than episode one, though. They, yes. They did a good job there because you might have not stuck with it through the end of one, but by the two, you know, it was, oh, yeah. it was pretty like, okay, this is it. Yeah, that's where I was when we were watching it, uh, Mr. Kelly and I. I told him, the second the, I watched the first one, the second episode is out now, and we can watch them both at the same time, and you can see if you like it. And we watched the first one, and he was like, eh. And then we watched the second one, and I was like, I am so in! So... That was was where it went. So, Ged, my last question for you. Yeah, and I said the same thing. I said the same thing to nobody in my office, (laughs) by the way, Kelly. Yeah, but you've reeled people in since. So, you're doing doing the Lord's work, Don. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Let me try that again. You're doing Ford's work, Don. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Ged, my last question for you as we wrap up here um, in minute at hour 28. my last question for you is when we do the inevitable rewatch, will you be joining us again? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Uh, so, Ged, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for coming and contributing. No, well, thanks for having me. It's fun. I, I do get to talk about Westworld with the guys at work, but it's it's so deep and layered that you just you can't go over it all and everyone has different <laughs> theories and you know it that's what part of what makes it fun you know it's totally right. what you're saying the water cooler effect and everything and you know the more you get to talk about it with other people and, and stuff it, it the better that it gets so yeah. i appreciate you having me on it's been fun well and i expect Thank occasional you. reports from your actual physical water cooler because not all of us have that luxury <laughs> Yeah, we do have an actual water cooler, which is pretty cool. I know, and you have an actual office, and like Don is retired, and I work remotely, so neither of us run into coworkers at the water cooler anymore. So I expect reports on your water cooler, on occasionally, and I'll make sure that we have like dispatches from Icon Factory. So. It's pretty funny though, because some people haven't seen it, so they run by us and they're like, got their fingers in their ear, and they're like, la 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 la, you know, I don't want to hear, blah blah blah. So I'm going to take the opportunity to pimp your website, which is gedblog.com, because you have posted two beautiful Westworld wallpapers, one for iPhone, one for iPad. And you've done one with the Westworld logo for the lock screen, and you've done one without it for the cool background effect. And I love them. Don now loves them because I told Don, go look at these. They're awesome. Thank you. And she was right. They are awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's cool when a show inspires you creatively to do different stuff like that, you know. And it was fun yeah. creating them and, and you know trying to put in some of the stuff from like the the Delios website and stuff of the locations of them and the wallpaper yeah. and stuff. So it's fun. I'm I'm glad I made them. I, I hope people are enjoying them. I like them very much, and we'll make sure we have a link to that. And Don, thank you for joining us this evening. Yes, yes, boss. As always. Uh, <laughs> because I made the mistake of telling you, I really enjoy that you call me boss. It makes me really happy. Um, so I try to do it as often as <laughs> so it happens all the time. Boss. Um, yeah, well, I told someone once that my, my the job title I aspire to someday is actually straight from Doctor Who when uh, Matt Smith referred to someone as, to uh, Amy as secret agent boss lady. 
And I'm like, that's the yes. best title ever. I need to figure out how to get that job title and make it work for me. But until then, I'll just take boss. That's pretty good. I like it. So um, I'm your host, Kelly Gamont. This has been Greetings from the Uncanny Valley. And uh, I can't wait to talk to all of you next week. In the meantime, you can find Ged on Twitter at... Uh, Gideon at G-E-D-E-O-N. And Don, we can find you on Twitter. Cleverly at Don Milton. And you can find me on Twitter as Verso. And all three of us are excited about your theories. Give us your theories. Give us your crazy ideas. All of it. If you have links to other stuff, we like that too. Um, I'm Love it. Love it. Your huddled bots yearning to be free. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, my life in particular has reached critically low levels of Westworld gifts. So if you have those, by all means, send them my way. Um, and in the meantime, like I said, I cannot wait to talk to all you guys next week. And we will see you later. See ya. Bye.